Today's episode of Damn Good Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Georgia tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download the Game Time app in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Hello, everybody. Seth Emerson with The Athletic here on the Damn Good Podcast with Rennie Curran on the other end here. And Rennie, we are coming to you for the first time on the Damn Good Podcast after a loss. Let me first say, if you're listening to this because you needed some catharsis or you wanted to be angry or whatever, and you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you still have that opportunity by going to theathletic.com backslash damn good podcast, 40% off the annual subscription. Hope you do that. Many people that are listening to this are already subscribers. Rennie, we will get into what went wrong, why it went wrong, how worrisome it is, but let's not bring everybody down right away. I know you wanted to get into right away the where we go from here from the perspective of a player who's been through something like this. Yeah, it's always definitely disheartening and uh, defeating when you, as a player, you work extremely hard week to week. You're in the film room. Uh, you're in the, the weight room. You're going to class. You're doing all the things necessary to, to come out, get a win. Everything's going well. Uh, for the most part, and then you have a game like this, a game that starts out early, which I kind of talked about that last week, just how when you start out early, you have the, the tendency to not get started right away or just kind of be off just because your routine is off. Uh, but you come out there and you, you have uh, a game where nobody's really firing uh, at all cylinders and n- nobody's really on in terms of like building the right momentum. Come away with the loss. Um, as a as a player, you know, from a player's perspective, really the only thing you can do is go back, look at the film, and try to regroup as much as possible. The thing that you don't want to have is guys starting to develop kind of that, um, you know, all about me mentality, where you know they're throwing guys under the bus or they're just getting negative or they're worried about how many plays they had that game and why the coach didn't call on them. And it just builds that culture and that mindset of negativity that can snowball into the next game and, and you know, cause even more uh, bad momentum to come our way. So I think from here, you just have to look at the film, review it, which they are going to do. And then from there, just try to grow from it, make sure that the same mistakes aren't made and that as players, you come together, which is a lot to ask 18 to 20 year olds to do. But you have to, you know, in these moments. And really like set the tone those leaders who are vocal have to get guys in the same room aside from the coaches aside from everybody and just uh, get everybody refocused on what the task at hand is what's your sense from what you know about this team and what you've 
just seen from afar or up close mm-hmm. on whether this game is a wake-up call to a team that may have been a little bit too, you know, up in its own head, up in its own press clippings, so to speak, or whether it was symptomatic of problems that still need to be addressed. Right. From my perspective, it's more so symptomatic of problems that still need to be addressed, uh, more so than it is the leadership and, and guys being caught up in their own success or press clippings and whatnot. We all know that Kirby keeps them on point when it comes to just knowing that they need to work hard week in and week out. He's done a great job of uh, really uh, pressuring guys to establish the leadership and the voice within the team. We know Jake Fromm is a guy, uh, but at the same time, we still have some some gaps there. And you asked me early on uh, when I first started with this podcast, kind of what were those uh, red spots or those, those uh, areas of concern I still think we have some gaps in terms of our uh, defensive backs. Like, you know, you look at the first explosive play that happened with the with Edwards, their wide receiver who caught the, uh, I think like a 30 or 40 yard pass for a touchdown. You know, safety didn't come over the top. Uh, you know, the, the defensive back got beat. It's probably a miscommunication there. Um, those things are gonna continue to haunt us if we can't get it right, you know, and if we can't develop depth in that area. Uh, and that's just one of the, the things that I've that I noticed during the course of the game. So I think it's more so uh, some symptoms of areas of concern. And I know the coaching staff is going to be working extremely hard to get those things fixed because, they, I mean, we have to. We're about to get into the meat uh, of our season. And we know with the Florida game looming, uh, they're going to be going after us in those different areas. Yeah, th- this podcast may not be as entertaining as it could be because you and I agree on pretty much everything, or at least we have so far. We'll do some production meetings where we try to come up with things that we'll argue about. But I'm with you, and I have been on the start on the pass defense because the the offensive problems, and we'll get to that in a second, a lot of them kind of came out of nowhere or the play-calling problems, the predictability, continuing to run it up the middle was an issue because the game was close and they weren't opening it up. But they've been able to have that approach in past games and win – But the pass defense problems, I mean, this was the third straight game where that was an issue, and they've had some busts. And it's not really on Eric Stokes, but DJ Daniels been victimized. This time it was Devon Wilson. They got him on that crossing pattern. Uh, They they crossed the receivers. You know, it's it's something that remains an issue. And it's they could fix the offense. They could go to the drawing board Kirby and James Coley could get together this week and say all right you know what we're we're going to really open things up um and and Jake Fromm could not have three turnovers but they've still got to resolve the pass defense all right all right we got you know young guys like Devon Wilson uh, who are going to continue to be targeted because they know if they can you know throw in a motion or or uh you know do something that throws him off in terms of trying to pick him or uh, some type of uh, misdirection that nine times out of ten, those young guys are going to fall for it. They're going to bite the cheese. Uh, they're going to make those mistakes or they'll forget to communicate. Um, and so, you know, that's what you're going to see a lot more of, I believe. It's, it's just them trying to expose uh, the lack of experience that we have uh, in the past defense and, I mean, in our entire front seven as well. We, we talked about it before how uh, aggressive that how aggressive we are the havoc rate 
uh, that can be an issue as well if we don't uh, continue to be disciplined. You know, making sure that if even if we are blitzing, uh, when we are blitzing, that we're covered on the back end. So all those little things are going to start to matter a lot more as we get, uh, you know, throughout the course of this season because teams have a lot of film on us at, at this point, especially uh, film that exposes us. So we're, we're really going to have to do a good job of uh, coming together, like I said, making sure that we're, we're tight-knit on those areas of weakness or those areas where we've been exposed and, um, you know, making sure that we don't allow those explosive plays to happen because that's probably the biggest what, – what hurts the most is not only – are you, you know, giving up a big play, but you're also giving a team like a South Carolina confidence mm -hmm. and letting them believe that, hey, we have a shot, which is even more damaging. Speaking of explosive plays, let's talk about Georgia and lack of them on offense. If you look at – I'm looking at CFB stats right now, which is kind of my go-to, so that's my pre free plug for them. Long scrimmage plays nationally. Georgia is fourth nationally in 10-plus yards plays of 10 or more. That's really good. Change the tab to 20-plus yards or more, Georgia is in a tie for 73rd nationally. That's not good. That, and where that, that, that was something I wrote about last week because Kirby agreed it was an issue. Tyler Simmons, when I asked him, he said it's a, it's a concern too. And some people said, well, this is kind of nitpicking. Look at the offense overall and how it's doing. I said, yeah, I know. But if you're going to beat good teams down the road, You've got to be able to do that. Well, they ended up losing to a not good team. And part of the reason was lack of explosive plays. Because what happens, Rennie, when you don't have enough of those, you have more plays, which increases the chances for bad things happening, such as turnovers. And they had four of them. You have some explosive plays earlier in drives. Maybe you don't have an interception uh, earlier or later in the drive that ends it. Uh, also, it you kind of wear yourself out sometimes. The I. Kirby's philosophy is he wants to wear the defense out, and that, that does work a lot of the times, but sometimes can you almost wear yourself out too rather than I mean, almost too cute by half? Yeah, I mean, I think you got a point there. Uh, it, it can definitely be one of those things where you're wearing yourself out more, more so than anything. It puts so much pressure on the offense to execute at a high level every single play when, you know, it really isn't about that uh, the home run hits. It's about you know putting together a full drive. That means you can't get the penalties. That means there can't be uh, you know drop balls, which we had. Um, definitely can't be interceptions. You know, not no pick sixes or anything like that. We have to focus on ball control, which is tough, especially if we're behind and we're trying to catch up. You know, we don't have enough time and whatnot. Uh, we have to quickly go in and hurry up. It, it just puts a lot more pressure when you don't have those explosive plays. So you're right. We're definitely going to have to find a, a strategy. But at the same time, I, I think we have to know our identity as well. And I think that's something we got away from throughout the course of the game. Like we, I feel like we completely abandoned the run um, towards the end of the game, which, you know, we, we had a more balanced approach early in the game and it was working. Um, and so I think at the same time, even though we want to have those explosive plays, I think it's, you know, sticking to our game plan, having a balanced approach that opens things up for us to be able to do those, uh, have those, you know, uh, plays open up that are down the field that lead to explosive plays. Yeah, and they, I'm not to, I'm doing my rewatch by the time this is posted, my second glance is online, but I'm not quite to the crux of the game in the fourth quarter and overtime, but 
they, I'm looking at through the uh, play sheet, Georgia had a drive. Actually, they, they scored a touchdown on this drive, but they went heavy on the pass, um, and, and they were heavy on the pass at the end of the first half too, and a lot of that was because of the situation, trying to come back. But um, it, they, they know their identity is to be a run-oriented team, but they the, the main identity that Kirby wants is to be balanced in the sense that when you need to run, you can run, and when you need to pass, you can pass. They weren't able to do both effectively, and they mm-hmm. South Carolina deserves a lot of credit for that. Their their oh, defensive yeah. front was really good. Their corners were really good in man coverage, and their safeties played well too. There there aren't many plays where you see a guy, if any, like wide open, and it's like why isn't Jake Fromm throwing to him? Um, a couple mm-hmm. I've seen on rewatch, but nothing major. South Carolina does deserve credit for that, but South Georgia wasn't really able to adjust. There was there was no Plan B, or if there was a Plan B, they were unwilling to go to it. Right? Yeah, I did. I did see a lot of that. I mean, that's one thing uh, I've been able to see with this team for the past couple of games is their ability to adjust and be resilient, finish up, you know, come back in the second half and finish up strong, which is what I was waiting on, you know, uh, throughout the course and throughout the course of the game. And it was like, it never came. Yeah. One of the things that hurt us greatly was the loss of, of Cager. Um, you know, I think him leaving the game really took away our ability to really open things up. He's a guy, if we have anybody that's close to making those explosive plays, he's our guy. And, uh, not having them in there really, really hurt us throughout, uh, throughout the end of the what game. What do you, what do you think about, the play calling and, and when this happens, I mean, what, what what did you think watching the game? Man, I definitely thought we got. I mean, throughout the course of the game, we were pretty conservative when it came to the play calling, and um, I know the coaches trusted uh, Jake Fromm and um, you know the rest of the offensive players to make plays and do what they do. But when we started getting behind, and then you know you get a situation where Rodrigo misses a. Uh, well, you get the interception. They got the momentum on their side. Rodrigo misses a, a field goal. It's just everything just added up um, in such a negative way, man. It, it was hard to tell exactly what um, the full problem was, but I know the turnovers were definitely a big part of the, the major problems that we had. Drop passes. I mean, there were a lot of things that, when I look at this game, that were so uncharacteristic of our team. Well, and Kirby harped on the turnovers that those were – the main difference and look they were we said going in that if South Mm -hmm. Carolina was going to have any chance it was going to have to be something like that and South Carolina played a a near perfect game and still yeah needed overtime to win but Georgia it seems wasn't able to adjust with its style of plays I think in in rewatching it they did take some downfield shots Um, they just couldn't complete them and you're right Cager being out hurt he's somebody who Fromm has been able to hook up with on a lot of those sideline back shoulder throws. But mm-hmm. it, it's especially watching the run plays. I'm charting the style of runs, like the direction of the runs. Ver, you know, Some up the middle, some between or around the tackles. It, it's kind of hard to categorize inside or outside runs. You probably know this a lot too because there's zone reads and stuff that – everyone's moving it's like is that really between the tackles because the tackles are moving whatever but one thing i can say for sure runs that are to the edge were at a minimal this game and they were really trying to hard 
to establish the run up the middle, and it just was not there. And that yeah. was something I didn't understand. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I, I noticed that as well. Uh, we really did try to push it up the middle. I mean, um, we have, we got the speed, we got the talent. So that I didn't understand, um, you know, why we didn't get more guys into, into the perimeter, even if it was just a quick dump pass uh, to the flat, mm-hmm. uh, anything like that, just to mix things up or, or throwing in more misdirection, um, which is something that early on in the season we really capitalized on, whether it was getting – uh, James Cook out in the open space uh, at times getting swift as well um, so yeah I, I think that's definitely something we need to uh, revisit as we move forward yeah what else could they do I mean it's it's one so when the defense comes out and they're playing really good man coverage and you're not able to establish the run the way you're able to is it just do you think the plays are there and they're just unwilling to use them or have they not practiced some of those different style of plays that that people wanted them to put out there right a lot of time it is you know that pre-game planning like you go into you know every game you know the personnel you know the type of looks that you're going to get or at least the looks that they've showed in the previous weeks against certain you know formations and so that's what you kind of bet your game on and on the other side you got South Carolina, who's who's trying to expose us in different areas as well. So they're coming up with their game plan, uh, which kind of dictates uh, what we do throughout the course of the game. And so when you, you know, it's like they say, everybody has a, a plan until they get hit in the mouth. Right. So <laughs> when we get to a game like that and they, they're making those those big plays, they're having the game of their life and get kind of restrict. You know, you don't want to just completely abandon ship uh, as an offense coordinator. So it's, it's one of those tough calls. Um, that you know you you can make those adjustments, which uh, I didn't. For the first time in this game, I didn't really feel like we did that uh, in the second half. We make those adjustments that we needed to make, and then even from an execution standpoint, we didn't come out executing the way that we needed to. Because they gave us mm-hmm. with with all that they did well, they still gave us some chances. You know, I think what they had like the second, third string quarterback in that time. Yeah, second um, string entering the game, third know? string entering the season. Right. And so we, we had a lot of opportunities to expose them as well. And uh, that I feel like we didn't uh, capitalize on uh, as well. Just the, the gifts that they gave us. They, they missed field goals too, you know. So it's, it's one of those tough things, man. Yeah, and I mean, again, let's give credit to South Carolina. Will Muschamp versus Kirby Smart. This was Muschamp's first victory over Kirby. But they have actually played Georgia closer than anybody else in the East has especially relative to how those games were supposed to go. So Muschamp has seen something and probably has helped having Brian McClendon and then now this year Thomas Brown. You know, Brian McClendon called a really good game. Um, they, there's something to be said for, especially when they throw in the backup quarterback, the third stringer, who he wasn't like totally just a run guy. Um, he could pass, but McClendon called a game to limit the chances for mistakes. I mean, that not turning the ball over in that environment, that game for South Carolina's offense is, is something to be said for that. Um, you can say that Georgia also should have forced turnovers, but on the other side, again, with, with Georgia's offense, it, I, I, I think, and I'm, I'm charting the throws too, and, and people want to look at from, and obviously he made some bad decisions with the throws. The thing I do come back to, 
is number one, I think they do throw over the middle more than people think, even this game. This game I charted a lot of throws over the middle. It, it goes back to tempo. I'm not sure why they don't go tempo more. It seems like they do and it works. Is it because of the you know, getting to play in quick enough um, or or what? But I, I that's something I don't understand. Tempo seems to work. Fromm is comfortable in it. He played it in high school. Uh, but they don't. They don't do it enough. They did it against Notre Dame, and that's kind of what turned things for them on offense. And and you haven't seen much of it since then. Yeah, that that is an interesting point, man. You're exactly right. When we do go tempo, it, it seems to change the momentum in our favor. We're starting to move. You know, just we we're able to get to our the ball to our playmakers a lot quicker. I mean, just things really really pick up. So I I really don't understand why we don't. Um, do a lot more hurry up as well, and with Fromm's efficiency or um, how he how efficient he has been, you'd think that that would be a go-to, especially if the game is still close, is is still tied. And we started to, but I think um, maybe starting out that way and not waiting until um, we're kind of, you know, we kind of have to, <laughs> yeah, uh, get to that position. I think will be a better decision. But hey, we, you know, you never know what they're game plan is going into these uh into the games and what their mindset is and uh it's it's like i said it's just one of those tough things that is it's hard to tell from this side you know yeah i don't know if it's because the receivers aren't experienced enough that yeah. but the everyone everywhere else you look on the offense and you see experienced players from swift andrew thomas and most there's no true freshman on the line um charlie mm-hmm. warner you would think there's enough guys Tyler Simmons out there that know the offense and know the plays um right. I mean they, nothing much could have changed so drastically Coley was on staff last year it it just seems like you'd be able to run plays quicker and I I, I don't know why they don't do that um n- now let's get to this other narrative that has emerged but it's been there already and that's Kirby and his late game decision making the field goal I, I understand when it got to 13 seconds and you're looking at a 55-yard field goal to win it, running one more play. Because that's enough time, even if mm-hmm. you get tackled inbounds before the marker, to hurry up and spike it with a second left. Not ideal. They were going for a sideline play. But, you know, yeah. With eight seconds left, uh, Rennie not kicking the field goal there. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, for me, uh, it's, that's another tough one, man. And, and you know, those he the moment. Um, I mean, for me, and I know I, I speak for the rest of the Bulldog Nation as well. And I say you got to go with your guy. You know, Rodrigo had had been hitting on all so all, all cylinders. He'd been consistent. So, um, you know, I don't. I'm not sure why you wouldn't trust him there. It wasn't a certainty that he was going to make it. I mean, a 55-yarder right. is career-long, but you were running such a risk. Now, if mm-hmm. if they throw an incompletion with eight seconds left, and he misses the 55, or, or you know misses the 55-yarder, no one's saying anything. If they kick the field goal with eight seconds left, and he misses it, you might have heard people then saying, "Well, why didn't they try one more play?" I don't think most people would be saying that. I think the nah. the correct decision was to kick it with eight seconds left when you've got a guy who has done it. 
you know, it, and it backfired. Now, I still think Will Muschamp made the worst decision, uh, the more lower percentage decision, trying to kick a 57-yard field goal when his guy had made a career-long, was it a 50-yarder or a 52-yarder earlier in the game? Uh, but it, whatever, he um, 50, yeah, 49-yarder. Uh, it was almost a 50. So the idea that he was going to hit a 57-yarder was ridiculous. Meanwhile, it was only fourth and two. I don't know why they didn't go for it. Um, and then you get the overtime, and you know, I, it, I, I, I hurt for Rodrigo. I wrote about kind of seeing him after the game. Look, that guy was a stand-up guy. He was the first guy to interviews and among the last to leave. And he stood up against the wall. I didn't spend a lot of time talking to him because there weren't many questions I thought that could be asked. But he stood up against that wall and answered questions for the entire allotted 15 minutes, whatever. And, I, Rennie, I don't really know how many times he could answer the same questions <laughs> over and over. <laughs> but he did it. Yeah. And I, I think he kind of reinforced, even in a loss, even in a game where – you know, he was arguably to blame, which I don't think he really was. It only would have tied it. I, I think he continued to endear himself to Georgia fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just who he is. He's shown time and time again that, you know, he's a guy who loves Georgia football, who is a team player, who's a leader. And that's when it shows most is, when, is during that loss, you know, how you handle it. I uh, know that we all have the expectations of, you know, wanting to have that perfect season and even wanting to see him have a perfect record, but it's not always realistic. You know, nothing, nothing ever is going to be uh, what you expect in this game. And, um, but I think he handled it well. He's handled himself well for his entire career. And all he can do is pick up the pieces. You can't, I hate, you know, I hate games like this where it comes down to one or two plays or, you know, just a few plays where you're like, man, if this person that did this, if this coach had made that call, you know, cause that's a never ending conversation. But um, I, I think he did the best that he could. Uh, with the given situation yeah this is when you're winning everything gets magnified in a great way and when you're when you lose like this everything gets magnified in a bad way and so this is going to be a really interesting week these are going to be really interesting interviews Uh, kirby smart has a press conference on monday at noon as he usually does then he has another session tuesday after practice and um he's going to be asked different questions i plan to ask him some of these questions and you know th- this is also James Coley's turn in the ringer he can talk to Jim Chaney about what that was like uh or Brian Schottenheimer who really did deserve it his one year here um and Mike Bobo for <laughs> when he was calling plays but Kirby's going to ask be asked probably how much of this is James Coley how much is this your philosophy and do you need to adjust that philosophy and what do you need to do to change this perception about ill-fated game management at the end. Um, There was also that situation in overtime where they appeared to call a timeout and almost bail out South Carolina, uh, which was hurrying to run a play. Um, The the national stuff, and and I work for a national website, Rennie, so I see what everyone writes, like Stuart Mandel, Bruce Feldman, Andy Staples. there's, There's people who are giving up on Georgia right now saying, as well as they recruit, as talented as they are, and as good as they may be coached in a lot of facets, they're really worried about when it comes to crunch time about Kirby Smart's decisions or just in general how they've 
not been able to hold leads like they did against Alabama or did not do against Alabama twice. The, then you get to the fake punt, the fake field goal at LSU, uh, and and now this, and it, it just kind of feeds that perception. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, we got a lot of work to do regardless. You know, whether you talk about the uh, game management, um, the, those crucial decisions um, on the field with, our, with the athletes and just establishing that depth, um, there's so many areas that we need to fine tune. And, um, you know, I think there's truth to it, you know, that we've, we've seen time and time again, um, you know, in different situations where it's been a bad call or it's been a bad decision. So there is there is truth. And so we just have to continue to, to learn and grow from it. We have time, you know, mm-hmm. after this Kentucky game, we've got the bye week. So I really think they're going to be, I mean, I know they're going to be, um, those are things that they're going to be working on, uh, fine-tuning. Um, so yeah. They can still end up in Atlanta and in the playoffs. Yeah. they That's happened the last two years. They've suffered a regular season loss. It's just that the previous two years it was on the road to a very good SEC West team, and it could be written off. They're going to have to turn around. They're going to have to show that this was an anomaly. And they're going to have to get better because they, they can't, the way they played and the way they've been playing, I think, run the table. Uh, Florida and Auburn look a little bit tougher right now, especially the way Florida hung in Baton Rouge Saturday night makes you think, ooh, yeah, cocktail party is really interesting now. Um, but I still mm-hmm. think Georgia is a pretty good team that has more talent than Florida probably has more talent than Auburn. That game's in Auburn that makes it tougher, but everything is still winnable. And if you're 11 and 1, if you turn this around and you're 11 and 1, they're going to go into Atlanta and be able to say, "Look, we committed four turnovers against South Carolina. That was a bad loss, but it is what it is. It's in the past. We we firmed everything up since then." And if they then win the SEC championship, I guarantee you they're making the playoff. The only way that wasn't going to happen is if there were four other perfect undefeated power conference champions, which there will not be, or if Notre Dame was undefeated, which it is not, thanks to Georgia. So one loss SEC champions getting in. The question is whether Georgia can be that one loss SEC champion. And I, I think, Rennie, you probably agree with me. That can happen. They just do need to get better. They can't shake this off as this was a fluke, four turnovers. As long as we don't turn it over like this, we'll be fine. They've 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 got issues they need to fix. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like you said, our, the you know table's still in our corner. We we still have the chance to control our own destiny. We're still in a great position, but as you said, we have to have a sense of urgency. And when I look at this team and the amount of talent that we have, the you know the recruit, the depth, I mean the size, everything, we have all the right tools. But one thing that we don't have or that I don't overwhelm overwhelmingly see is that killer instincts, that that sense of urgency, that uh, championship mindset on a consistent basis in terms of like our level of execution. You know, even when we are having a good game, even when we are doing well, there's still those little uh, mistakes that we make, whether it's a, a drop. You know, uh, a punt return that's dropped, or a, a turnover, or penalties, or just something that keeps us from having that complete game. Um, so I think if we do want to um, 
beat Florida and, and control continue to control our own destiny, we have to get those things uh, intact. You know, especially like I said, in, in pass coverage and our calls when the game is on the line and it's a crucial moment during the game. I mean, all those little things matter, uh, and it, it's going to show up even more, especially when we get to, to Jacksonville uh, in the the remainder of our season. Because all these teams, I mean, we already know, and I said it before, every team that we play. Uh, we're basically going to be uh, their Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So just like South Carolina had that chip on their shoulder, um, so will, you know, Missouri, so will Kentucky, so will Texas A&M. You know, those can easily be uh, upsets as well if we're not operating at a high level and with that sense of urgency. So I think this is just an early lesson for, uh, you know, our players to understand that, hey, you got that target on your back regardless of who you're playing. And you, you have to know that you're getting their best shot and they're going to have the game. They're going to try to have the game of their lives. The coaches are going to coach the, you know, the, the game of their lives as well, putting together the best game plan. They're going to expose you. Any sign of weakness that you have, they're gonna, it's going to be exposed because uh, everybody's trying to make a statement. So we, we have to understand that more than, uh, you know, more now than that, now than ever. Well said, Rennie. Well, uh, we don't want to, depress everybody uh for you know, <laughs> so for too long so any closing thoughts Renny? anything more i mean we don't really need to break down kentucky as as much as georgia looked vulnerable on saturday kentucky it, i i think this is a really bad time for kentucky to come into georgia yeah i mean I, my thoughts are man we need to really take it out on kentucky and uh reestablish ourselves build that confidence uh, getting ready for the bye week. I think that'll be one of the best things we could do is just put together a complete game, really show uh, ourselves and the rest of the nation that we're serious and that it's not just fluke. We're not just a talented team that underperforms, but that, uh, you know, we're a serious contender. Should the offense open things up and show it against Kentucky or practice it but not show it? And kind of try to surprise Florida, or is it is that something that fans think about, but teams can't actually really hold stuff back? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, you know they definitely need to go out and open it up. And, and as far as teams go, and whether they hold it back or not, I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're going in, you know, to every game trying to put right. the best performance together, trying to you know give it your all. You know, I can speak for that. As a player, you know, every game we were never like, oh, we're, we're not going to run this blitz or we're, we're only going to run it 50 percent right. or whatever it is. So we're going in there trying to, you know, trying to make things happen. And I think uh, for what just happened this past weekend, we, we have to. I mean, it's crucial. Um, the younger guys who are out there on the field, they have to open things up as well. They have to really establish that trust and um, they have to grow up quick. Uh, on both sides of the ball, and you really just have to put things together very, very quickly. Yeah, that's what I was telling people because Georgia fans kept asking, "Are we seeing the offense? Are we seeing the offense? Are, are they hiding some things?" And I kept telling them, "No, I don't. I, they don't think that way. They they're right. trying to they're they're not emptying the playbook literally, but they're showing the offense against Murray State and against Arkansas State. They're not going into that saying, "Well, we're taking." You know, we're only using this percent of the playbook. We're only using fifty percent of the playbook because we're saving it for Notre Dame, and you know, especially in the Notre Dame, this was the offense that they had, and 
that so people shouldn't be shocked that they weren't out there running all this different play action and stuff that people wanted them to throw uh, against against South Carolina when when Plan A wasn't working. They now do have to go mm-hmm. back to the drawing board, I think, and, and get Plan B and Plan C ready because if South Carolina showed that they can stop Plan A, then Florida certainly can. Auburn certainly can. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, we do have some, some young guys out there who, you know, 18 years old, they're still trying to grasp that offense, even though we are, you know, getting to the meat of our schedule. But when you start trying to throw in, you know, um, putting guys in motion and different nuances and whatnot week to week, uh, there are guys out there who thrive on their talent and who maybe aren't in the playbook as much as they should be. And I just know this from, from playing, you have guys like that. So that kind of constricts how much and, and uh, you know, the coordinator can open up the playbook and how much he, he can really trust guys. You know, does he stick to the basics of things that we know so that players don't have to think as much or does he want to, you know, throw in the nuances and, and um, which can work sometimes. But if you don't know, if you have a young guy in there that, hasn't really gotten the full experience. It's like, can he perform? Is he still going to be able to go out here and, and retain that information and perform at a high level? So it's going to be uh, interesting to see these next couple of weeks how that goes. All right. Well, I'll wrap it up. Not the most inspirational podcast, I'm sure, uh, for Georgia fans. They, but this is kind of what they wanted to hear. They, they understand the deal, and, yeah. and hopefully this has been informative and and helpful uh definitely not the podcast we were expecting to do. i i've rennie i feel kind of stupid because i wrote a lot of stories last week that really had the tone of georgia's so much better than south carolina and you know these these offensive issues and i wrote about the lack of explosive plays and, and stuff and mm-hmm. said well but it's it's it seems like it's nitpicking and et cetera, et cetera. the offenses look so good and then the offense goes out and is the problem against South Carolina. So it was unexpected. But you know what? It just, I, I hate to be cliche ish, but it, it shows why they play the games. It's, you never know. South Carolina, 21 yeah. point underdog, comes in and wins. Oh, yeah. And you better believe they were reading all those newspaper clippings about everybody doubting them and, you know, uh, just not crediting them with any type of, you know, respect. And uh, I know as a player, I, I used to love being the underdog. Mm-hmm. I used to love when people would, would write things about me that may be true or weren't true. It didn't matter. I just knew that I had that chip on my shoulder going against certain teams. And as I told you before, like the majority of guys on that team, they were passed up by they were passed up by University of Georgia. They were the kid who wasn't tall enough or maybe, um, you know, they were looking at another player who ended up coming or who was a, who was a five star and they weren't type of thing. So. You better believe, like, when they get this opportunity, knowing the, the caliber of players that we have, knowing that the NFL scouts will be there, knowing that it's going to be tele- televised, you know, nationally, uh, that they're licking their chops. And so, yeah, we, we have to really take that to heart and, and know what we're getting into every time we play a team like this. Well, it's a, now that it occurs to me, it's the second time this decade Will Muschamp, under fire, has quieted the critics by shocking Georgia. Uh, hmm. 2013, I guess, was the game. Uh, or no, 2014 might have been the game where he, he saved his job. He was about, I think, to be fired that Monday. And hmm. he, they went into the cocktail party and they won. Uh, I think Georgia beat Florida in 2013. Um, and 
and Florida won in 2014. Muschamp only saved his job for a few weeks. He did still end up getting fired that year. Um, but this time around, I'm not sure Muschamp was on the, the real hot seat anyway. He definitely isn't right now, unless it goes haywire the rest of the way. But they, they did a great job, that coach and staff, him and Brian McClendon. They, they, they schemed up really well. They out-schemed Georgia. That's for certain. Definitely. And, yeah, I mean, a guy like, you know, Brian McClendon be back, uh, who I played with my freshman year, Thomas Brown, who I played with as well. Like, these guys, I mean, it's it's a, even more personal for them, you know, being Georgia guys. I mean, all those guys who have ties to Georgia, um, you know, it's a special challenge. It's a way for them to prove themselves as well. So they, they're just all, you know, from the players to the coaches to uh, everyone involved, they have that chip on their shoulder, man. So I, I get it. All right, Rennie. Well, uh, thanks for coming on and offering, again, your wisdom and experience. Unfortunately, this kind of a game. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, man, it's tough. But, yeah, we don't – Georgia's season is by no means over, uh, we assume. We'll be back here next Monday talking about uh, Georgia riding the ship against Kentucky and then a couple weeks of buildup for a very large cocktail party game. Oh, yeah. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait. All right, Randy. Well, thanks for everybody for listening. And you've been listening to the Damn Good Podcast. And see you next time. Go, dogs. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. <laughs>